Welcome to Unity of Tucson. The world as I see it is a remarkable place. It's a remarkable place. The world, caveat, as I see it, is a remarkable place. This is a call to each and every one of us to question how is it we look at and see the world because very many people look at the world and say, the world as I see it sucks. (laughs) You don't hear that word often in Sunday service, do you? (laughs) How do you feel? And this is a rhetorical question. We're going to get back to this again, I think, this week. How do you feel about that, that lyric? How do you see the world? The world as I see it is a remarkable place. How do you feel about that? What does that feel like for you? Because for me, I'm going to tell you what it feels like for me. It feels inspiring. It feels awe-inspiring. Because what does it really mean? It is a call to experience and understand the world from the point of view of awe. You know, we throw around this idea of things being awesome all the time, right? We kind of toss it off. Oh, it's so awesome. It's so awesome. But what does that really mean? Full of awe, right? Now, do you know the definition of awe? I'm going to tell you because I looked it up this morning at (laughs) dictionary.com. And it surprised me. The definition of awe, a feeling of reverential respect mixed with fear or wonder. Didn't that surprise you? (laughs) Like, I was like, what? (laughs) Mixed with fear? I don't know how I feel about that. Or wonder. Or wonder. And then I, I, you know, I also always like to look at the word origin, you know? So how did it come up to be? Like, this fear aspect of it. And the word origin, there's a Norse word from which the word awe derives, and the word literally means terror or dread. It's always surprising when we find out what words have meant, and I talked a lot about it last week. Is it prescriptive or descriptive? This is just descriptive. It does not set the tone for the outflow of our lives unless we decide for it to. So there's a fine line, I think, and if we really settle into what does it feel like to be in awe, a physiological feeling might be a fine line between dread and wonder. If I am in awe, standing on the side of the Grand Canyon, it's an awesome sight, right? But there might be a little dread in me. What if I fall in? (laughs) I have a little fear of heights. I'm a little scared of it, too. What you experience, the manner in which you experience, it's all based on your choice. And that is the great gift that we all have, the gift of infinite choice in every aspect of our lives. There is a a song that was created by a duo uh, of New Thought musicians, Lisa Ferraro and Erica Luckett. And Erica has made her transition to another plane of experience. Uh, magnificent, glorious duo. They have a song called Awe. 
And if it was not so darn difficult and written so <laughs> clearly for their voices, I would, tr I would attempt it. It is a very specific song for their voices, but the refrain keeps coming back to this idea and these words. If you're not in awe, you're not paying attention. If you're not in awe, you're not paying attention. So how do you choose to step forth in this thing called life? Are you choosing to step forth with and in awe in every aspect, even in what we perceive as the mundane? Can you look at the mundane and understand it and see it with awe? I just returned from Kansas City, as many of you know. I was there for the Unity Worldwide Ministries National Convention that is held every single year. And, you know, last week I gave the homework to uh, live with this question, this statement and this question in mind every single day. Uh, the statement and the question are, is this, I know nothing, now what can I know? I know nothing, now what can I know? In some ways, whenever I come back from the national convention, it's almost like uh, what I did at summer camp kind of talk. Because <laughs> I got to go away, I got to go to Unity Village, and uh, I got to see lots of magnificent friends uh, who, who are in the movement. Among them, uh, Michael Gott, who wrote Nearer Than the Air, the song. Um, and I said, I, we actually spent a considerable amount of time, Michael and I, together. And I said, you need to know that you have influenced my ministry greatly because you write songs because of the timbre of your voice, and it fits great within the timbre of my voice. So you get a lot of play at Unity of Tucson. It was so wonderful. And there was an interesting kind of tone. You know, I always come back and I'm like, I'm very aware of the tone. And if I'm truly living that question, I know nothing now, what can I know? There's a tone that kind of pervaded the experience of this year's conference. And that was the time that was spent in the weeds of justification. Justifying ourselves to the rest of the world as a worthy spiritual movement. Justifying ourselves to fit in with traditionalists. Justifying our doctrine as valuable. It's an interesting kind of point of view that I think many in the New Thought movement continue to walk with. We're kind of like, oh, well, we're like the... We're like the evil step-sibling of traditional movements in spirituality and religion that um, always kind of approach life with, well, we're not quite like that, and we're not quite like that, and we're not really sure, but we want to try and define ourselves through that lens, and we want to try and define ourselves through that lens, rather than actually standing firm and stating and claiming and being proud of what it is we stand for in our doctrine to claim that we, are an evolutionary, that we are evolutionary progress and that that is fundamental to our lives, to stand firm in the understanding that as Jesus taught, the Father and I are one, we are that magnificent power and presence. We are God. And there is nothing separate from the infinite. There can be nothing separate from the infinite because if there was something separate from the infinite, then the infinite wouldn't be infinite. It would be finite, because there can be nothing separate from the infinite. It's just, to me, it's like it makes logical sense. <laughs> Does it make sense to you? Yes. Why don't we just claim what it is we stand for in doctrine? Why don't we claim? We have five principles 
that are fundamental to how we approach this thing called life. God is the only thing that exists, number one. Number two, we are that power and that presence. There is absolutely no separation. Number three, our thoughts and our beliefs create the construct of our experience. Number four, prayer and meditation are the ways that we activate those thoughts and beliefs. And number five, we choose to live from that point of view. Are we choosing to live from that point of view or are we continuing to define ourselves based on them over there and them over there so that we can kind of try to fit in to everything? Why do we try to fit in when we were born to stand out? I didn't make up that line, by the way. <laughs> I hear people say, that's a good line, right? I don't remember who, who coined that, but it's a, it is a good line, and I will keep using it. Why, why, why do we try to fit in when we were born to stand out? And then there's a thing that we do also in New Thought, uh, in the unity movement, in the religious science movement. No matter, it, it doesn't matter what... Part of the, uh, what part of the rainbow you're in in, a, in New Thought, there is a thing that we tend to do where we try to idolize things above the divine. We try to create idols. Well, we were warned against idols in Scripture, aren't, weren't we? But we have sometimes made Scripture and the interpretation of Scripture and the use of Scripture more important than our relationship and expression of the divine. We have sometimes made the church building more important than the divine. If we make any form more important than a deep personal spiritual relationship with and as divinity of self, uh, itself, we might be dishonoring the infinite God source energy. And so if we're doing that, we are dishonoring ourselves because we are that energy. How would we know? How would we know if the next Jesus walked through that door? I want you to think about that for a moment. How would we know? I don't know that I would recognize the next Jesus because I spend so much time trying to make it all work in my life. Ernest Holmes offers an idea. If you could bring up the next slide. Find me one person who is for something and against nothing, who is redeemed enough not to condemn others out of the burden of his soul, and I will find you another Savior, another Jesus, and an exalted human being. This is one of my favorite quotes of Ernest Holmes of all time. He offered this in what has been published and come to be known as his final sermon by the sea. If you want to know what the sermon by the sea was all about, you can ask me after the service. Find me one person who is for something and against nothing, who is redeemed enough not to condemn others out of the burden of his soul, and I will find you another Savior, another Jesus, and an exalted human being. This week for me... it would have been very easy to go into condemnation of others. I was very challenged this week. The ruling of the Supreme Court on Friday, the rulings that came out, there was one in particular that affects me absolutely directly. 
and has basically been the highest court of this land essentially saying that I, as a member of the LGBTQIA community, am a lesser citizen than other people. So it was a challenge for me to hear that news and to stand firm in my resolve that what is mine to do is to be for something against nothing and to not condemn others out of the burden of my own soul. It's a spiritual practice. So I'm not here to, you know, get political. I just want to say that there are things that happen in our, in our, in our world that have direct consequence on our own experience, that we seemingly are out of control, that, that, are, that, 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 that put us seemingly out of control. We are never out of control because we have consistent control of our minds, our hearts, and our beliefs. And so I look for where it is we agree. I look for where it is we can move forward with and in compassion. I look for the good. And I started to think about this experience uh, and this time that I spent, you know, each year I have traditionally gone to the island of Kauai. And one of the things that I do when I go to the island of Kauai is I go to the Hindu monastery there and I'm grateful to have time to sit with one of the swamis. And in one, uh, many years ago, something had happened. I don't remember what it was, but I was feeling challenged and uh, was talking to uh, Sadasivanatha Palanaswamy. I can say that. <laughs> and he, he magnificently offered great perspective, as they do. You know, this is a, the, the, the monastic life is one where they get a lot of time to think about these things and come to a ma magnificent wisdom. And he said, make sure you focus on where we agree. He said, there are no visitors in this thing called life. There are no visitors on the earth. We are only family. We are only family. He also offered this, and I thought, well, he's a, he's, he's a new thought practitioner. Because he said, we're never trying to change conditions. We are only working to change our mental relationship to them. Like, like, that's new thought. Like, it's everywhere. <laughs> so how do I step forth into changing my mental relationship with the conditions that I have been presented with? Pima Chodron says this. We think that the point is to pass the test or overcome the problem. But the truth is that things don't really get solved. They come together again and fall apart again. The healing comes from letting there be room for all of this to happen. So what am I for today? How am I choosing to be part of the infinite cycle and expression and experience of life free of judgment? I hold firm in this idea that we are a family. That is what binds us all together. What connects us is that we can use that construct 
to create a true, beloved community, but it starts right where we are, just like the peace candle. If we want peace in the world, it begins by being the peace right where we are and allowing that inner peace to inform our thoughts, to inform our deeds, to inform our intentions. If we want to truly be connected as a spiritual family, what I think is that It is up to us to stand firm in the infinite love that we inherently are. Let that inner love inform every activity, every action, every intention, and let us not be overrun by the challenge of condemnation. Because it's super easy to condemn. It's not always easy to love. So what will you choose to be for explicitly? What will you choose to be for and not against? Now, the thing about it is sometimes people get wrapped up in that second part of it. Show me someone who is for something and against nothing and think, oh, I have to be against nothing. (laughs) I have to be against nothing. Here's the thing that I have found. That doesn't have to be the explicit part of it. If you are for something explicitly, you don't need to put your focus on the things that you might think you are against. Just be for. What are you for? I am for love. I am for light. I am for peace. I am for joy. Because the world as I see it is a remarkable place. How do I choose to be for in the way that I experience and see this world? What can we... And this is, this is a serious question for the people in this room, the people who are online, for this community. What can we as a community step forth and say we are for? Do we have the willingness to put ourselves on the line to support what it is we are for? And if that brings up a little Ooh, catch for you, that's okay too. Just be aware. Just be aware. Because it is in awareness that we heal. And as we heal, we find ourselves with the capacity to be for more. It's what Jesus did. Jesus was unapologetic in the way that he stood for. He was unapologetic. What is the fear that we might be feeling that holds us back from being for? I often, and I will call myself out on this, I often get comfortable in my own privilege. I often get comfortable in my own privilege. Now, I can very easily say, oh, I'm a member of a minority class being part of the LGBTQIA plus community, libidiqua. (laughs) Every every time I'm like, LGBTQIA plus, it's like, just say libidiqua. I could very easily live within the paradigm of, oh, I am an oppressed minority. But it's also very easy for me to pass. It's very easy for me to pass. I can walk down the street and nobody would think anything of it. Oh, look, there's another white cisgendered man. (laughs) And so it's very easy for me to get comfortable with the privilege that I have by being a white man. (laughs) 
Because the thing is, what you don't know about me, and oh, I'm coming out of the closet right now, is that I identify myself as a masculine, non-binary person. You probably didn't know that. But I can still pass. I'll tell you what it means later, Don. <laughs> Actually, I can very easily tell you that the fundamental identity for me, I don't really feel male or female. Although I express male, masculine, that's how I express, but like my fundamental inner identity, I don't, I don't really identify with either male or female. That makes me perfect. Why, thank you, Mary. But even so, even though that's how I identify internally, externally, I can pass. I can pass. And people treat me differently with a perception that I am a person of privilege. Not everybody can do that. And I think it is up to us who can pass as privileged individuals to support those who cannot. That is an important part of the way I choose to be in ministry to lift the voices, to lift, to lift, to lift, to be for, not against. So how am I going to lift the voices? We cannot expect change unless we are willing to participate actively in change. Self-awareness means nothing. It must lead to action. Action then, for me, leads to self-actualization. I think we must stop creating enemies, and we do create them. I could very easily go and say, those six people are my enemy because of what they had to say and the authority that they have. You know who I'm talking about, right? <laughs> Just want to make sure I hadn't lost you in that. <laughs> that would be really easy for me to do, to create the enemy. And we are taught and we are encouraged to create enemies in our society. In the media, there are subtle and not so subtle ways that we are influenced to look at others in a combative way as our enemy. And this goes against a fundamental aspect of our teaching, the very thing that we are called unity. We are unity. No one is left out of unity. No one. Because if we left anyone out, we might as well call ourselves separation. <laughs> so to be for something is a daily practice, to engage in daily compassion. And I choose to let it be a purposeful practice, not a reactionary practice. This is how we begin to be for. Be for the expansiveness of our own minds, to be for an active dismantling of our prejudices, and to be for the development of structures that empower all of humanity. What are you, what are we willing to be for? That's the question I leave you with today. Peace and blessings. You are magnificent. The homework this week, thank you. The homework this week is um, simply stated, for some it may not be easy. 
I would like each and every one of us this week to actively engage in at least one thing that empowers the least among us. Find something that you can engage in this week, some activity, some way to support and lift up the least among us and recognize that the least among us are not the least among us. They are our siblings. They are our siblings. And let's do so from a consciousness of love. Hi, this is Reverend Jonathan Zenz, and I want to thank you for listening to the podcast of my Sunday message. Your financial support will ensure that we can continue to offer this as an option for inspiration. You can make your tax-deductible contribution in any amount on our website, unitytucson.com. Once again, thank you for listening. You are magnificent. Namaste.